Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we come in view of the light that has come. Your son, Jesus Christ, he is the light of the world. And by your grace this morning, if we are in Christ, we know you through your son and we rejoice in your son this morning. And we will go on rejoicing into the many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to come. How light the afflictions are here compared to that. And how momentary the afflictions are here compared to that. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Christ this morning. It may very well be that we're here and we are encountering affliction or struggle of heart or struggle of soul or struggle of body. May we just come and lift up all these things to you and fix our eyes on Christ this morning and fix our eyes on you as the one who is our help and is our God. And so may we glory in his light today. May we live in view of Christ and may our hearts soar with delight in Christ. May he be the treasure of our souls evermore from as we hear your word this morning, may Christ be precious to us. May you work in our hearts and examine our hearts if there's any, any false hope that we have, any other thing that we are actually looking to rather than Christ, may, may you show us that too. And may you help us to fix our hope steadfastly on this one, Jesus. And we pray, we pray that you would bring many in, you would even bring the nations in from every tribe, tongue, and nation that they may join us here, that they may come to faith in the one, the only Savior, Jesus Christ. May you work among us this morning, may you go out from us this morning and help us to, to reach the nations for your name. And so help us, Lord to see Christ as precious this morning and respond to all your good word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Galatians. The letter of Galatians will be continuing our study, walking through this letter with Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. As we enter the month of December, rightly, we and... All believers need to be aiming and strategizing towards sharing Christ. We need to be strategizing and aiming and considering how we can get the good news out to the world that the Savior has come. That it's not the, the matrix, it's not Neo, it's not some guy coming in the future, some future Messiah to come. It is Christ. And he is the Savior, and we have that news. And so we need to be strategizing and seeking to understand and seeking to uh, aim at sharing this good news. And so we need to be asking, who can we invite? You know, who, who might we be seeking to tell of the one who t- came to save us from our sins? 
And so we strategize, and that's right, and we aim and orient ourselves, and we need to be orienting ourselves towards gospel witness. However, even as we do that, which is right, and we need to do it with all our hearts, every member, every person, every believer, every church, we're also not ignorant or unaware that there is another strategy going on at the same time. There's another war, there's another battle going on. Our defeated foe, the devil, he also has a strategy. He would love to see the lost remain lost. He would love to see them still desperate and undone. He would love to see the broken, not just kind of broken, he would like to see them totally shattered. He'd like to see the aimless adrift, drifting, miserable, and dead. There is his strategy. That's his strategy for us as a church. That we would be undone. The gospel will be lost. The word of God not heralded. Now, over recent years, I've witnessed along with you the trajectory of our nation. Of course, the trajectory of people going really just that way. Following just the path the lies, the deceptions, and so on that Satan has given. And, and, you know, I ask myself as I look out, and maybe you have as well, what might be his strategy in our day? Well, I would imagine that at some point along the way, there he was, strategizing with other fallen angels, you know, having a, a committee meeting, you know. And there he was asking how they can undo God's word how they can undo the gospel and how they can undo the great commission. And so he said, or perhaps he imagined to say, I know, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll do as, they did, as I did there in the garden. I'll ask a simple question. Did God really say? And I'll challenge God and I'll challenge the existence of God. And I'll even fool them into thinking there is no such thing as truth. I'll confuse them. I'll confuse their identity. I'll confuse marriage. I'll confuse sex. I'll confuse gender. And I'll have them believe that their ways are better than God's ways. And then after asking all these questions or asking these things and talking through all these things, he sits back and he says this, now I'll just watch and watch them undo themselves. I'll watch them destroy their families. I'll watch them undo civilization itself all the while forsaking the very one who is their only hope the God who made them. I'll watch them forsaking what is best, forsaking even the gospel itself because they have believed the lie that they are gods. I'll tempt them, I'll deceive them, and I will make them afraid. I will confuse them, and I will laugh as they go 
and live their lives and bear my bonds. Well, this morning, our passage faces down this awful strategy of the devil. And it is calling us from every front and at every turn not to align ourselves with it, but to align everything we are individually, as families and as a church, in and under Jesus Christ. It is there in Christ that those dark and dreadful and deadly bonds are thrown off forever. And so Christ is the hope that we herald. And it is Christ that is the one who is heralded this morning from our passage here. So may God help us hear and receive the truth of God's word this morning. Galatians chapter 3, 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So here we come now to the end of a weighty, extended, and really a very careful, carefully argued chapter, chapter 3. We have seen Paul. He has been there waging war, like imaging and imagining him there on a battlefield because that's what he's doing calling us and exhorting us to think hard and love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so he's been exhorting us to examine ourselves. He's been pulling down one after another anything or any addition to the gospel itself. Do not add to the gospel. So he has made plain that faith has always been the way for people to know the one and the only triune God. Only way. And so long ago, God promised Abraham, He promised the very one, the offspring that would crush the serpent's head. And we saw that in Genesis 3.15. That glimmer that God would bring about. And He wouldn't just bring about generally. He would bring about specifically. This offspring, singular, God promised to Abraham, and that offspring is Christ. 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
And then in chapter 3, or still in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul, he wrote there in verses 7 and 9, Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So now having shown us all of these things, the law is not our hope, there is no life in it, All who are seeking life through the law are under a curse. He now brings all of this then to a head and he applies it to us. And here, he exalts then the preciousness and the joy of union with Christ. The preciousness and joy of union with Christ. Now this is a really precious and glorious truth. This is a soul-inflaming, even life-altering truth. If we would grasp it, if we would take it in, and so he sets before our eyes no ladders, no deeds, no efforts of our own two hands, no righteousness that we may accrue of our own doing. But Paul, he says, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so we take up his words and we lift high the truth that this is by faith. By faith. Union with Christ, it comes by faith. Now that phrase there, union with Christ, or as we see in our Bibles all over the place, in Christ... It means something. Paul, he uses it in his letters 84 times. So, quite prominent, right? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ again and again and again. And so if you have put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. He is in you by His Spirit. He is yours and you are His, and you will be with Him forever. Praise the Lord. And so these are precious and joyous truths. If you know Christ, you are not an outsider. And so note that phrase there, verse 26 at the end, through faith. So Paul, he will not let us let it go, right? Neither should we let it go. It is not based on you on any level. It is faith in Christ. And the preciousness of this is not primarily because we are sons of God, though. What do I mean by that? The preciousness of this, the joy of it, your, your heart is just overflowing, the heart is burning, well, your, your heart is singing, as we were singing a moment ago, where the soul rejoices in God, and you're singing and rejoicing in all these things, the, the life of flame for God, all of that flows out of love for 
life in and adoration of Christ. The person, Jesus Christ. It isn't primarily then for His benefits that we come. It is for Him. For Christ Himself. And that's what I mean. It's not primarily, oh, wow, I'm a son of God. It's primarily Christ. He is precious. He is the treasure. He is the joy of my soul. All those other things. Praise the Lord. But Christ. And so some though, they do come to God for these. Primarily. And that one slight difference in your heart could mean eternity or not. That Christ is precious. Or I love old style church. You know? Big difference between the two. Big difference between, you know, I want to be his child. I want those benefits of someone who knows God. I want heaven. I don't want hell. I want the fellowship of Christ church. I want community. I want identity. And that is why I'm a Christian. Danger real Robinson. That's not good. I mean, those are blessings and I love them too. But that is not why anyone's a Christian. You are a Christian because you have seen Christ as indescribably precious above anything and everything else and you want Him. Amen. So it isn't any of those that God would have you fix your eyes on. It is Christ in Christ alone. In Christ, you have those things. You will not go to hell. But the believer is the person who sees Christ. And it is Him they want. It is Him they long for. It is Him who is of supreme value to them. Of supreme delight to them. Of supreme worth to them. And it is those who see Him as supremely delightful are those who have Him. Have Christ. And how many ways we can fool ourselves to think that's what we have when really we just like, you know, potluck dinners. And so we need to ask, what is supremely delightful to us? Is it Jesus? Is it union with Christ? Or not. It is not in his benefits. It is not in your spiritual experiences. Not those either. Not the emotion. Not all that stuff. It's not in your efforts. It's not in your story of conversion that you have life. It is only Christ. And it is Christ that Paul lifts up here. And throughout really all of his letters. For you and for me and for all of us. That He is the most precious one in all creation. You were made for Him and through Him. So are you living that way? Are you valuing your children more than Him? Are you valuing this church more than Him? Are you valuing something else more than Him? 
a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a toy, a job, money. Christ is to be our joy. Which unseemingly, this flows right into the next point as well, within this first point. (laughs) And it's this, the joy of believer's baptism. So Paul, he says there in verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Now, at this point, we need to be careful here to make sure we're clear on something that Paul, he is not at this moment just kind of throwing off the whole of the book of Galatians and saying, yeah, yeah, faith, faith and all, but in the end, you've got to be baptized too, otherwise you're not saved. That's, that's not what he's doing. That would make no sense at all, right? You know, he's been saying no to anything plus Jesus. You, you can't have anything. You don't add anything to Jesus, just Jesus. So we don't do that with this verse. And we don't do that with believer's baptism. So Paul, he's not replacing one work with another. He isn't saying no to works, to circumcision, but then yes to baptism as our means to salvation. Instead, in view of Christ and faith in Christ, a person is baptized. And this is where the joy is in this. So, so to be clear, faith in Christ precedes baptism. So I would say believer's baptism. And that's not too far. This, that's what the word is here. Baptizo. Water immersion. However, baptism then, what it is, it is the joyous, glad, overflowing response of those who have put their faith in Christ Because why? Because Christ is their joy. He is their portion. He is their delight. He is their treasure. And that's why we say the joy of believer's baptism here. Baptism is the way a believer who has put their faith in Christ testifies that they belong to Christ. And so Paul, he talks about this like a garment. And so he says, in baptism, a person has Put on Christ. And so, so what does that mean? What does that look like practically then? So when the, when the believer hears the Lord's command in Matthew 28, you know, go thee therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to command all that I've commanded, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. The glad response of the believer then is yes, Lord. Amen. I want to be identified with Christ. I want to be identified with his local church. I want to be identified with the body of Christ. And so they belong to Christ, and their baptism then is their glad testimony to that reality. You see? That's why it's the joy of believer's baptism. It's not like, all right, Paul, you're talking about working it, like adding this thing on here, like an extra effort. He's not doing that. He's saying, because you love Jesus, he is your joy. He is your portion. Get me in the baptismal waters. I want to obey my Lord. Because he is my portion, my my, my treasure. 
in all of life. And so Paul, he uses this kind of garment imagery elsewhere as well as he talks about this. And so Paul, he says in Romans 6, verse 3 through 11, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, which is imaged in baptism, right? That guy is dead because of Jesus. So we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so hopefully, as you hear all this, you just see the joy of baptism. (laughs) Believers, baptism. And this is where we see the joy. It is the glad first response of the believer who is no longer dead, but they are alive, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And so we see all this, this kind of lifting up of Christ above all, that Christ is everything to us. And so first, in response to this, then we need to reflect upon the preciousness of Christ. Reflect upon the preciousness of Christ. So we need to ask, what is more precious to us? Is it all those things that we were talking about a moment ago? Is it, you know, going to heaven? Is it being part of this church? Or is it, you know, the benefits? Is it a child of God? Or is it Christ? You know, a number of years ago, I remember challenging some high school graduates with a question that wasn't my question. There's a question from pastor, theologian, John Piper. But it's a good question. And it's this. If Christ wasn't in heaven, would you want to be there? If Christ wasn't in heaven, would you want to be there? I think asking that kind of simple question can bring out all sorts of things that we might be treasuring above Jesus. And so we need to ask this question of ourselves. If you take out Christ, would you be okay? Would you be okay with that? We could still sing the hymns. We still meet here at Haven. We could still do everything else. We could still have all these things. But no Jesus. Well, our answer ought to be right, a fervent no. <laughs> you know, my goodness, no. 
I want Jesus. He is the one that we trust in. He is the one that we are to treasure. He is the one that we love. He is the one that we delight in. He is the one that we adore. He is the one that we live for. Until the Lord takes us home. He is our life. What a beautiful image. Having put on Christ. So we need to do that and reflect on the preciousness of Christ. And then second, celebrate, celebrate, remember, and put on. May believer's baptism for us and for you and for your family be a time of rejoicing and celebration. It is a wondrous thing to see someone who has been, who was dead and is now alive in Christ Jesus. And is telling everyone, I belong to him. <laughs> you know, in many countries, that's exactly how it functions. It's, it's not until they take that definitive step that they're telling the world, I belong to Christ. So we rejoice in it. And then as saved sinners, I would even encourage you to remember your baptism. Let it continually remind you that Christ is your sole hope and your only hope, your only portion, your only joy. He doesn't point us to, towards like a works-based salvation. It points us squarely to Christ and Christ alone. Not me. <laughs> That's what it does. Or if you're here and you haven't yet been baptized and you have put your faith in Christ... God, he is calling you to obey your Lord and be baptized and to put on Christ unashamedly and to say, there is my joy. There is the one I'm living for. Him who died and rose for me. So in view of this, faith in Christ, putting on Christ Paul, he wants everyone. He wants you and me and all of us to see the center of our identity is to be Christ. The center of our identity is to be Christ. And so Paul, he is honing us in and he's bringing all of us in and under this one person. When you strip away everything else about yourself what is left? And he's saying the answer should be Christ. <laughs> when it's all said and done, right there, all of it's gone, the job, the house, the clothes, you know, cars, family, children, life, legacy, Christ. That's what's left. And so in the midst of our current cultural context, this could not be more relevant to us today. Satan's strategy is most certainly in full swing and it is having great sway among churches, among people professing to know Christ, and of course throughout our nation. This isn't just about marriage and sex and gender either here that Paul is addressing 
when it comes to identity. It's along all of these lines here that Paul's addressing. So Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. And so what he is saying is first, first here is that we need to see our identity is not to be defined by our ethnicity. So they were those. That's why he's mentioning all these groups here. Uh, Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. Paul, he says, no, (laughs) that is not what you are to be defined by. It is not your ethnicity that defines you. Your identity is not bound up to all those things. Jews do not have one way for salvation and Gentiles another. The basis as the people of God is not different. It is Christ. And so he's saying no to ethnicity. And then second, our identity is not to be defined by economic or social status either. So slave or free, your identity is not based on these. You may be well off here. You may be poor here. We aren't enslaved here, praise the Lord. But there are those who are enslaved. We are those who are free here. Well, none of these things are to define us. None of those things are to define us either. Paul, he is lifting Christ higher than the social dictates or broken systems of our day, whatever they be. The fall is going to kind of weave itself throughout all of history, and its brokenness will go over every single area. And he's saying, regardless of where you are, Christ is the one who you are, is to be your identity. Amen. Not any of these other things. And then third, our identity is not to be defined by gender. Now, to be clear here, Paul is certainly not saying male and female cease to exist. So get that clear in your mind. Scripture is absolutely clear on this point. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's a fact. God, he created us, male and female, for his glory. And so, yes, be a man to the glory of God. Be a woman to the glory of God in Christ. And so he, he, he's, he's not saying all distinctions are gone. You know, when an ethnic Jew comes to faith, they don't cease to be an ethnic Jew. A non-Jew Gentile does not cease to be a Gentile. A slave did not cease being a slave. A free person did not cease being a free person. A male did not cease being a male. A female did not cease being a female. But he's saying that regardless of those things, Christ is to be everything to you. He is the one who defines you regardless of any of those things. He defines us. In Paul's day, this was a problem. And really, it's a problem in our day, right? 
Jews despised Gentiles. Gentiles despised Jews. Slaves despised the free. Free despised the slaves. Men despised women. That's what they were doing. And he's saying, no. Christ is to be central to every single one of you. And he is at the core and at the center of my church. And so to all this, Paul is saying this. Believer, be clothed with Christ. Be clothed with Christ. Christ is our clothing. Where Satan would destroy people by having them be in a constant state of confusion, God, he gives us the center, and that center is Christ. My identity is not bound up to the fact that I'm a pastor. Oh, Lynn's not a pastor anymore. Uh-oh, he, he must not be about Jesus anymore. No, my goodness, no. Better not, right? My identity is not bound up to the fact that I'm a husband or I'm a father. I'm a student. Whether you know this or not, I'm a Native American as well. It's not bound up to that. And your identity is not bound up to your nation, to your family, to your history, to your sins, to your temptations, to your singleness, to your marriage, to your children to the world and its confusion over marriage, gender, and sex. It must be Christ. And so he's saying to all of us, be clothed with Christ. And he's saying, second, church, be clothed with Christ. So right now, from many angles, and not surprising, <laughs> you know that. We are being challenged whether we will stand under this truth. Hundreds and hundreds of things that can divide the body of Christ right now. Thousands even. You know, every one of us in this room that we come from different backgrounds here, and you're not like me and I'm not like you. We have different personalities. You have certain things that you like and that I don't like, you know. And I have certain things that I like and you don't like, you know. We have all variety of opinions and all sorts of things. And you may be here, you may be an introvert. You may be an extrovert. You may be wealthy here. You may be poor here. You may be white. You may be black. You may be Asian. You may be Native American. You may be male, you may be female, you may be vaccinated or unvaccinated. But what does Paul call us to be and to do? Be clothed with your vaccination card. Right? Your opinions. No. Be clothed with Christ. And so he says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
none of us are better than others here. All of us, every single one of us in this room, we need Jesus Christ. And all of us are only saved by grace. And so we are, each of us, are to be clothed with him. You want to know how people like us that are all different are united? Because of Christ. And that's also why I can have more in common with my believing Chinese brother in another country than my next door unbelieving neighbor. It's because of Christ. So Paul, he brings all of this then to conclusion here by glorying in the truth that those in Christ by faith are Abraham's offspring. So we see the gracious and sovereign power of God displayed. (laughs) What does that mean? It means this. God did that. He did this. (laughs) He's doing this right here. That's what it means. As David read a moment ago, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God is the only one who can do this. He's the only one who can form a people like us from all variety of backgrounds and ethnicities and social classes and genders, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he's the one who can make them the body of Christ. God did that. And he does all this because in Christ, his promise stands. In Christ, his promise stands the promise that God made to Abraham, the promise of an offspring who would crush the serpent's head, that offspring has come, and it is Christ. So we are not heirs of a fallen world, but we are part of the kingdom that will never waver, never diminish, never break, and never end. So what kingdom are we aligning ourselves with? May we align ourselves with him at every level. And so you and I are being called to center ourselves, our worldview, our view of life, our lives, history, all things under Christ. Where will the world find hope? It is not in Satan's strategy. It is not in his lies It is not in his deceptions. It is Christ. And in Christ, God's infinite love is currently, presently, and consistently on display. And so you and I are going to go and display it. And shine the light of Jesus Christ to a world that is broken, that is being shattered, and they are lost. 
and they need Jesus. And so the big question then is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And note my question here. I didn't ask whether you you did or you have done anything, right? I didn't ask about your background. I didn't ask about your experiences. I didn't ask about your personality. I didn't ask about what sins you're walking in. It is not about any of those things. It is only Christ. And so my question is, are you in Him? In Christ? So today, know who you are and live as those who are clothed with Christ. Live as those who are clothed with Christ. So cast off this morning all false identities. Turn away from sin and self and turn to Christ. Put on your Lord Jesus Christ. If you're lost this morning, come to Christ and He will make you free. If you're a believer here, be defined by Christ. Church, May we not listen to the contrary words of our world, our culture, but may we live under and in Christ. May we live under the precious and joyous truth of union with Christ by faith. Father, we come before you right now and we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts. That you help us, Lord, as we're considering your word, we're thinking upon these verses, considering our own hearts, our own lives. You know them. Our lives are laid bare before you. And may they be laid bare before you. I just ask that you would help us if there is something that we are, that we have trusted in above Jesus Christ. May you show us that. Pray that today that Christ would be precious to our souls. He would be the supreme joy and delight of our hearts. And we would put nothing else before him. And in putting nothing else before him, wow, how your spirit will work. And may your spirit work in us right now. And may you work in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, in our children, in us, in our spouses, in, our, in the midst of our struggles with our sin and ourself. May at each turn, may Christ be lifted high. May we be defined by Christ, we pray, Father. May we put on Christ this morning, and I pray that for us as a church, locally and universally, that you would work to help your church to be clothed with Christ. 
how we have, and we do so often grumble and fight. Help us, Lord, to love fiercely, forgive continually, persistently wear Christ everywhere we go. Pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they right now would put their faith in you. They would see their need for Jesus, that right now they just put their faith in Christ, the one who died, was buried, and rose again for their sins. Every sin can be paid for and atoned for, and all of it is forgiven through faith in him. So may you do that. And as we respond, may you help us each of us to respond to your word now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.